Hey everyone, it's Chev. Welcome back to Bad Association Podcast and welcome to the first bonus episode. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Scott from Witness Underground. If you haven't already seen the trailer, seen the movie, heard about it, talked about it, reposted it yourself, then I'm so excited to share this with you. Today, on the release date of this episode of March 1st, 2023, Scott is releasing his documentary called Witness Underground. He spent so much love, time, and energy into this project, along with his guests that are in front of the camera, and we absolutely can't wait for all of you to view it and enjoy it as well. On this episode, like previous episodes, this is just Scott giving us a snippet into his experience with the Jehovah's Witness cult. His first experience with questioning the faith started at six years old, where in his very first prayer, he wasted no time questioning Jehovah on all the nonsense he was being taught in this new religion. He was baptized at 17, but very quickly took a sabbatical, if you will, because he had a lot of questions and he needed answers for them. Witness Underground has been screened at 11 film festivals, such as New York City and Wisconsin. The film can be found on his Patreon account, which I will link into the bio slash show notes of this episode. And for all of you ex-JW and active JWs, if you're listening and feel comfortable, I really encourage you to look into his artist funding idea, where he's trying to support Jehovah's Witness artistry, whether that is music, film, painting, poetry. Definitely look into that. I can't wait for you to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoy, but most definitely I cannot wait for us all to see this film. Sending all the support and virtual high fives to Scott. Congratulations. Can you tell me about the first time you remember questioning the Jehovah's Witness faith? This is great. I just had a call with an old friend from in the religion. And we talked for like seven hours. It was amazing. Are they out as well? Yeah. Nice. And... Yeah, so we've kept in touch over the years. Her and her husband are great. That conversation led to me being six years old and my dad joined the religion and he started giving me the learning from the great teacher book on cassette tape, headphones, sitting in my bed instead of reading a book. I would have to listen to this indoctrination lesson and then pause it with the cassette, you know, the Sony Walkman, pause it. (laughs) And then like, think about which of the five sentences I just had read to me answers the question. And, you know, this basic Jehovah's Witness pattern of how they do their literature and their question answer nonsense indoctrination classes. And I didn't like it. And they were, I was learning crazy stuff in there. This is, you know, in the 80s, 87. And that same year, my mom's dad died. And he was a Lutheran. And he always smoked his pipe in the living room and read his King James version of the Bible. And he was just, he was our grandpa. And we were little kids, right? I was six. But, I mourned like crazy, cried my eyes out for hours. And then for weeks, months, maybe every prayer, I learned how to pray like, you know, just then um, that year. So I'm just learning what this religion teaches. Like my dad's joining it, my mom's reluctant and we've never gone, you know, door to door or anything like that. This is like, we're still doing Saturday morning cartoons. We're years before we ever go preaching as a family. My prayer was, It doesn't make sense that only 144,000 people go to heaven, which is what they believe. I was a confused, you know, I was a, I was a confused child who just learned that heaven is a place that people believe in and that this religion only allowed a certain finite number and they have to all be from this one religion. Right. And that I thought it was unfair that my grandpa didn't deserve to get it. 
So I was like upset with my very first memory with this religion, questioning it was at six, like a couple months into the process. Like this is wrong. And my first prayers are all about like how unfair it was. So that was kind of like a, it's not like I didn't remember that, but I didn't realize how impactful that was because it's sort of like me questioning it from day one. There's something incorrect that this faith teaches. People are unworthy to be a part of it. People are unworthy of God's love. That's the first lesson I learned. Wow. So you first prayer, you went right in for the kill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Calling God out on the bullshit right, right away. <laughs> I, want, I want a plus one to this party and I'm bringing grandpa. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so your father was the one that came in and your mother did not? Actually, it's, it's even deeper and earlier than that. My dad's parents moved away before I was born to from we're like from I'm from northern Wisconsin and they moved away in their retirement like early retirement like in their 50s he retired from like the steam engine railroad he's a steam engine engineer I guess and moved transported goods from the inland world to Lake Superior to these shipping depots out above the lake and they would drop whatever their load into the boat Anyway, that's what he did. And he, when they retired in, when they were living in Florida, I think, or New Mexico, they learned about this religion and then started going to meetings in one of these other states. So I didn't even know that side of the family, those grandparents until, until that same year, I think, because I was in their new home. They just moved back to Wisconsin and they were in our town for a couple of years before they left again. And my dad was, you know, influenced by his parents to check out this religion because who knew the people you had to pay a nickel for their magazines or quarter or whatever it was were the ones that had you know the true knowledge of how to get into heaven or how to find paradise or whatever and my dad was raising he, I was we were on the third kid I think and he had two more about to come so like both parents working factory like dad's a factory worker my mom was a male postal service person career people who <laughs> stayed in for decades and got their pension um, they were busy really, really busy with eventually five kids trying to do this religion. Uh, so they did a pretty like half-assed job when it came to indoctrination and barely went to meetings and skipped talks. And my mom never joined the, never went preaching and she hated the Theocratic Community School and never got baptized. And I don't know why she still goes, but she's been <laughs> reluctantly going to this church and has like, doesn't really like anyone in it for decades. And like, she's like trapped in some weird way, but like if, if you're all the way in, if you're baptized, I feel like you're even more trapped. If you believe it all, you're even more trapped, but so my grandparents influenced my dad, my dad even influenced my mom. We eventually went. And I think for them, it was like it, any church would have done. This one happened to have no drugs and um, like really strict rules on, I don't know. I don't even know what it is, but they had like other 30 year olds with kids there that they liked. So like we got to be, we had family friends that were Jehovah's Witnesses that we sort of like had around us early. And then my parents liked hanging out with them. I think that was generally the draw. The community. But, yeah, the community aspect of it. Like any church, I guess, it's like the one thing that they do offer to the society that's a, a positive benefit is community. And mm -hmm. it's why they still exist in this modern world because there's not much in the world that like is a catch-all for anyone. Anyone can go to church and have community. Like that's step one, you get community. And then you might need some other things from that church later. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm atheist, so I feel like all <laughs> religions are deeply flawed, and but they still offer that, and I recognize the community aspect is, is a benefit. Everyone needs to be healthy. 
psychologically, emotionally healthy, you need to have some kind of community. Yeah. Oh, and then weirdly, like my dad's older sister joined the religion. Oh, and his his older brother also joined the religion. In fact, no, all four of his siblings slowly joined the religion in their adulthood after after they had raised kids or during raising kids. So it's sort of like usually you have like an older family and then they raise their kids in the religion and then it just keeps on going generation after generation being taught right. to raise kids in the religion. In this case, it was like my grandparents in retirement got their kids in, and all those kids lived in different states. And so it was like very disjointed. And then those, some, a couple of them raised their kids. I guess we were sort of half raised in it. Like my mom and dad's family, side of the family, like a little in and out. Not the typical scenario. There's almost no youth in our hall, in our in our congregation that were my age. So like, I didn't really have any friends. So like all my friends, my mom was really open-minded to having like, just make real friendships in school and like do normal stuff. So like I played some baseball on a team. I'd be able to just do extracurricular activities were not a problem. I skateboarded like two or three hours after school throughout high school. I played in a band, um, like a rock band in throughout high school. I, our family had the studio that all my friends from high school would come play and leave their instruments at. We did that for years. We recorded albums in that space, had a lot of the parties wow. there. But like I didn't have the, I went to prom, like my band played the after party for Whoa. prom where people were doing acid and smoking meat. And I didn't, I didn't do the drugs, but like, you know, I was being a good, good witness. In my opinion, <laughs> I was being a really good witness going to prom with, as a rock band. <laughs> I didn't do it all the way. Like I went on a date and I didn't, we didn't really know each other. It was just like, we need to have a date. We weren't that close or anything. <laughs> my, yeah, I guess that the experience like very loose and like open. My parents were very, oh, my dad was encouraging me to like try to meet Jehovah's Witness friends when I was like 17. Like, you should try. And I was like, oh, they're so boring. And I did meet a bunch of people and they were in bands. I was like, oh, it's really interesting. There's other musicians in the religion. I didn't know that. Like, in like an hour away in the next town. And then, like, they all left the religion. <laughs> I moved in with some of them and we had a New Year's Eve party with like a bunch of our friends from all the different high schools that we had been in and witnesses. And it was like, it turned into like a huge blow up in our all the different congregations and brought us all in like judicial stuff. And then almost everyone, but one of those people left the religion that same month. I was like, oh my God, you guys, I, <laughs> I can't keep friends in this religion. Like, why am I even in this religion? <laughs> like, I'm I'm like stretching myself to like be friends with people in the religion. Cause I think they're so weird and so restricted. And you would be correct. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up staying longer than like almost everyone I'd ever met. Some weirdly, cause I guess it was sort of like on my own terms and I'd always live like the double life for me was like the only way I'd ever lived. So it wasn't even double. It was just like, isn't this the only way we can keep our shit together? <laughs> right. I, I don't know. <laughs> Were your siblings into it? My older Mentee, brother, I should say. Uh, yeah, I think, I think on some level it's not, I can't like say that I didn't believe some of it mm -hmm. deeply. So it did it get ingrained in us. My older brother took it more seriously. There was this point where my older brother was like, he said some statement that really kind of shocked me at the time because we were, you know, teenagers. He's four years older. And he said something like, I've already done all of my research I could possibly have done. And I believe it. So now I just, now I just believe everything that they write. Mm. I was like, oh, you put like a hard line in the sand that you're not going to do any more research or you're not going to think for yourself anymore. He's like, he almost basically said like, it's too hard to keep on questioning it. And it's not like a good mental place. So I'm just going to choose to believe it. But having someone say that, like I yeah. respected him and he was sort of like, you know, somehow your older, older siblings guide. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I can't toe a line like that. I'm going to always question crazy stuff that's written that I think is completely crazy <laughs> or contradictory. They contradict their own teachings every time. A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's the difference between someone that is healthy and someone that is not. 
is that a healthy person would be like, well, that's dangerous to just blindly believe it from here on out, even if they change mm -hmm. what they're saying or they make an, another publication that doesn't match up with the previous one to just be already committed to like, I'm going to believe it, even if it's different, not asking questions is scary. Right. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Um, when did, did you get baptized? I did at 17, that same time period, which is really strange. I don't know. No one even knew I was getting baptized. Like it was like a great surprise to my grandparents that were in mm. like, why didn't you tell us we would have taken a picture or something? Like, it's a really important thing. And I was like, I don't know. It's just, isn't this what, just what people do sort of like a rite of passage or something. I don't know. I didn't, I went through, you have to go through the question to get baptized, but it was, it's a very strange thing. I don't know why I did it. It didn't make any sense. I like left the religion a year later for like six months because I was shown some literature that was written by ex-witnesses and it was very disturbing stuff that they'd written and I'd gotten it. I'd went to church in California in Pasadena. Well, I was on like a, in year 2001, I went on a, skate, a skateboarding around the country skateboarding trip with my skateboard buddies from my hometown after high school and we went to the west coast and hit all the famous skate parks and then one of them had a friend uh we stayed out in Pasadena and he went to his church and I was like I guess I'm sort of like on the finding yourself trip and I always said I would never go to church another church but I haven't gone to meetings in a long time so like what up what the hell let's go so I went and I was sort of like impressed and shocked that it wasn't terrible and I actually learned something and it was like fun people there. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, you're part of this strange religion. Check this out. And it was like pamphlet about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I read the whole thing that same day. Like, oh wow. my God. And I didn't go to, I didn't go to meetings for um, like half a year. It's like, you're like a very traumatic time because I was sort of like, okay, this kind of confirms a lot of my like questions and doubts. And it was more like a, from an emotional angle rather than like a logical angle. Like these people were mistreated for being disfellowshipped. And I was like, that is, it is wrong. It isn't healthy to do that to anyone. And there's all this drama in this magazine or whatever. But anyway, I ended up meeting with my dad. I was actually going back to my hometown with the intention of dating one of my high school, how do you call it? An interest, love interest. <laughs> We've been communicating via email as you did back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing sweet letters to each other. <laughs> and then I talked to my dad and he, we had this like big sit down and told him where I was at with my mind, emotionally, with the religion. And had a, he made me cry in front of him, which had never happened before. Not since I was a little kid anyways. And then he's like, this, this is the deal. This is, this, you can ignore the religion, ignore the congregation, ignore everyone in it. It's just between your relationship with God, that's it. You and God and getting into his kingdom. Everything else is, is pointless waste of time. Um, don't put any pressure or energy into that. And that's kind of like a strange perspective. I, I, would, I kind of liked how simple it was. Like what's happening in the congregation in this religion is completely inconsequential. But he was believing in the paradise all the way and that this religion is the only path there, but you don't really need to go um, or believe all of it. You just need to like stick with the, the path somehow. I don't know, it was very, it was very contradictory. I was like, okay, so what's the deal? And he's like, if you keep going to meetings and you talk to the elders about what, where you're thinking, I was like, I've talked to so many elders, like there's nothing that they can offer me. Right. Um, and he's like, just talk to them. And then maybe if you, if you auxiliary pioneer, then I'll give you half price rent. I'm like, okay, so rent of the entire studio, like the music studio, the whole house, whole extra house on the property that they had bought from our, 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 our neighborhood past that we'd like use as a music studio for all the high school. And, um, I was like, well, I'm in a band and I'm going to be recording my own music so I can live in the 
We called it the crib from MTV Cribs. I can live in the crib <laughs> and run Oh the Crib Records. <laughs> um, we said like a four track cassette recorder and all these. <laughs> it was very hokey, makeshift DIY. Uh, but so was his deal that you had to continue going oh, yeah, to sorry. meetings or that? No, you're <laughs> fine. Um, that you had to continue going to meetings or that you had to be like a, a minister, like you had to be active, like just to show up or you have to actually partake? Oh, he said, I have to be, I have to put in auxiliary pioneer hours. Uh, and go to meetings so like go to all the meetings and i was sort of like okay so you want me to preach go door to door more than i ever have in my entire life after telling you minutes after telling you that i don't believe it i don't believe this religion is true or like on the right path and i think that they're filled with problems and drama and i don't want to be a part of it and i have a worldly girlfriend <laughs> like He's like, oh, yeah, you should just um, join on the, and become, you know, find, do the most respectable thing in the church. But I was never on the path to become a ministerial servant. Actually, I did meet with the elders like that month. And I started putting in time. And there, and I, and all the elders had just been deleted from our congregation oh. for some drama. Like the CEO, like, just got rid of the entire group of two Bethelites and the private presiding overseer and like one other guy or something. Damn. And um, they put in all these new people I didn't know. So I've been gone for a year. I moved to a different town and came back to my hometown. And these guys, I've met these new guys, and they're like, you're the problem child we've been hearing about. <laughs> you're the one in the punk band. You're the one in, you know, the worldly band or whatever. And and I was like, well, now I'm, you know, I'm putting in auxiliary pioneer hours. So what do you think about this whole ministerial servant thing? They're like, they like, like scoff, like, <laughs> um, you are not on that path. You will not be getting that. I was like, okay, how about this whole um, auxiliary pioneering thing? you know, 50 hours, huh? Like, do I, how does that work? Like when do I get announced or is it like, do I have to like achieve something to become one of those? And they're like, you're also, we're not going to be approving that. You can put in the hours, but oh. you're like, basically like in this weird probation state, like without even committing a crime, just like my lifestyle is so off the rails <laughs> compared to what's normal. And I had like, for all of high school, I had this like beat up Volkswagen, GTI with a, I've had like a hemp sticker on the back. Uh -oh. Like you have to get rid of the marijuana <laughs> sticker. And I was like, I believe that this crop can change the world and I want people to be growing this. I've never smoked it. I don't intend to because it's against your rules, but um, I, it's something I support and I want, I want the world to change. And this is one of those ways. And they're like, you have to remove the sticker. It will never, become, you'll never become an auxiliary pioneer. I was like, I just will stop reporting my time as like silent protests for being like control, for your attempt at controlling me. But like that, I was like, he's very pioneering for like nine straight months and I never reported the hours. And I got being hounded by these elders, like putting my time because it makes them look so good mm -hmm. to have that many hours on the congregation's list. And I was like, no, you don't get to have my hours if you won't work with me. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to pick and choose what part <laughs> of me you want to claim. Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> and like, you should stop being in your band. It's a bad look and it's like unhealthy to have those, you know, doing this whole thing. I was like, okay i i'm kind of over the band the worldly band like i like those guys a lot we're like home, we've been friends forever um, but i'm gonna start my own band in the religion so i got these musicians from in the religion and we made my band following my music and that was like a whole other thing and then, and then they started getting in trouble and then they started deleting like disfellowshipping my band members oh. so that was like a whole extra thing that happened over you know over the course of the next year it was a whole it was a very weird time I was like hanging out with pioneers, young. They're all younger than me by like five or six years or eight years, but like all these pioneers who are like 
teenagers and I'm in my early 20s. It, and I was like traveling all over the state because like Wisconsin's very unpop, very low population, but like and all the religions really spread out. Like all my friends are like two or three hours away. It was, but it was interesting. And I met all these musicians from Madison and Chicago and Minneapolis and just around Wisconsin in general, because that's what I really cared about. It was, it's a very interesting like way to like navigate a religion in this religion. Like, oh, I only am friends with artists and weirdly pioneers. And like, then you know who like artists you can trust more because you know they're literally like like they're real people living on the edge a little bit, being a little fringy, a little have their own ways of thinking and seeing and self-expressing, free thinkers. And then the pioneers are like, how deep in this are you? And like, what are your goals? And I found it really interesting the ones that like went abroad, or like they knew someone who went abroad. So like, oh, you see, you've lived internationally, you had an adventure. Interesting. I was almost like a journalist. Yeah, but also who was keeping an eye on what they were doing abroad? I mean, who's to say they were going over there and actually like witnessing? Mm -hmm. Well, then I went and checked it out. I went to Ecuador. Oh, eventually. nice. Did you and actually do door-to-door -door witnessing? Yeah. Then I got, <laughs> it was like everyone's doing 70 hours or more, right? Because that's their main job. But I was doing, I was like, I'm going to do double what I normally do. So I'm going to do like, instead of 10, I'm going to do 20. And then they're like, why aren't you answering meetings? Like, oh, I don't do that. That's like not something I participate in. Like you need to, to show as an example to all the young local people. I was like, it's just not my thing. Like, I don't, like, I don't believe this. And I don't want to promote it. I hate the format. <laughs> I won't do it. And they're like, well, how, like, what are you doing here? If you're not going to be like part of the system, like, you need to be like, become a ministerial servant or like give talks. I'm like, no, I, I'm just here to do the, the preaching. And then that's it. I'm doing the adventures and going to volcanoes and surfing with all, <laughs> there's like all these pioneer surfers. Um, <laughs> We went camping a bunch and beach camps and like island stuff and we went door to door a little bit more than normal. That's what I did. They were doing like all in missionary stuff. How genuine and productive was your ministry work when you were not really bought in fully? There was one guy in my hometown during that first wave when I was 20 to that year 2000, 2001 who I met in the door-to-door -door, and he really liked me I think or like we got along really well mm -hmm. and he had a, a, a girlfriend and they had a kid together and she had a kid or two from another past relationship sort of like raising three young kids together um and then she and I got along really well as well so like then like they were excited like not excited but just like they were tolerant of having me hang out with them um once in a while and bring them weird literature <laughs> and talk about very strange topics for a you know a virgin 20 year old to talk to adults with kids <laughs> right about like I have some authority um but we got along really well and to this day like I became friends with her older brother who's an atheist during that time and he was very skeptical about the messages I was bringing into his sister's family fair and then the boyfriend was like taking it to heart like reading these magazines and considering it really important information and like quitting his job over like an awake article about gambling because he, and he worked as a security guy at a casino. And it's like, yo, yeah. don't, don't. I was like, oh no, this is actually having an effect on his life. He's actually doing what Jehovah's Witnesses want people to do. He's like controlling his life and it's disrupting his family. And it's not like they're doing well financially at that time. And I was, I felt really bad that he like took it to heart. And I, and I like called him, I was like, oh man, don't, don't jump and make like draw conclusions and change your life over like something you read in this this magazine's legitimately stupid. Like, don't, <laughs> don't take it so seriously. 
Um, and I'm like, I guess not everyone's trained to like read between the lines like I have my whole life. And like my mom was like always countering the nonsense on some some level to me. And I didn't realize that's what she was doing, but she's she would she would have her own ways of seeing it and then give that feed that to us kids in a way that's like, you don't have to do all the things they say. You don't have to believe everything they teach you. Mm-hmm. And like giving us this like different middle way. You meet this guy and, and he's reading the magazine and like quitting. I don't know. I took it. I took it really seriously. And I kind of stopped going because I didn't want to influence his family for the worst. Yeah, I respect which was that. kind of hard to do. Like when you're in it, you're like, this is what they're supposed to do. You know, I'm inviting them to the kingdom hall to the church, and then and then like feeling so awkward that like because I don't want I don't want to like I like them as human beings. I don't want them to have to go through this weird world. It's like you kind of know when you're in it. Like it's not exactly the paradise that they tell you it is all they keep on saying it is all the time like filled with drama and like weird tension and control and manipulation and someone's always telling you that your clothes are wrong your hair is weird or you shouldn't do something that you're doing it's exhausting like, yeah who wants to go through that or share that with someone <laughs> it sounds like your mom had at least partially it sounds like but had kind of like how most healthy people are with any other religion where they're like you don't have to be a diehard you don't have to like torpedo your whole life just follow it for the most part it is the right way to go so just do it is that am I understanding that right yeah on some level I think she's always sort of trying to like filter the filter the information to us Mm -hmm. with her more balanced view but it's difficult because like I would get her perspective and then, you know, once in a while, like when the topic came up, because we all, our family like never talked about the religion outside of being at the church, at the at the building, at the kingdom hall. Like we didn't have family study. We didn't, we never, like our family study consisted of, okay, prepare your washer before the meeting. You have 20 minutes before you have to like brush your teeth and get your dress. And like do wow. it alone, silently on the couch. Like we're not talking about it. No daily tech, like none of that typical stuff. You guys should have adopted me. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was enough just to have to go all the time. Yeah, for sure. Can't it took up so much of our that. time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know, when you have like a parent giving you a message that's different from what you're being told from the stage, that's mm-hmm. nice. But you're also getting this message that's sort of like this is the global message of the dystopian Orwellian world, like coming down to you from the authorities in its perfect form. Like you have to, this is what we want you to believe and think. And you have your parent telling you, you don't have to, like you have to read between the lines a little bit. Like it's not like that. Um, You're getting two different messages. And at some point I was like, okay, so my parents suck at this religion. They don't actually believe it. I'm the only one, I'm going to enjoy the door all the time. Even like, I'm I'm taking this religion more serious than any one of my siblings or my parents. I don't even know what my grandparents think. Like we never really talk about this. They just toe the line and they believe they want to get into the paradise or whatever and at some point I was like just like saying thinking that I was like the most serious person in the religion you know like this is all real and like I'm all in and for a couple years it was like that in like 22 23 maybe I was serious about it and then I don't know I started having then I started like doing more research but it's it's weird now to think that like I, I at that time I felt like I was so in and so dedicated and was so living it properly even though like by normal standards no one would think that looking i'd be like the bottom of the congregation 
Um, but like now, after I left the religion, I was very vocal and I was very communicative with every one of my family members about my exit and the reasons why. I was very poor at communicating it, but I was communicating it. Um, I was a little aggressive or like reacting to their intensity about certain things. Um, but like disseminating what knowledge I had gleaned um, from my searches and research. And, stuff. and then to have them react to me leaving with diving all the way in and being super serious about the religion to the point that, and I'm not sure on the facts, but like my, I have a nephew and he's 10, giving, telling me that, you know, grandpa, my dad, grandpa has become the leader of the elders. Like, oh, what does that mean? Like he's an elder or like a presiding overseer, like a position that's like up there. Um, who knows? I don't know what the actual facts are because we don't communicate, but. Um, how, like, how did you get from like barely going to half the meetings, skipping your talk and like having very few responsibilities to like leading the thing? But, yeah. Especially if you have a child that's disassociated themselves. Yeah. And I think it's a path that he has been putting time energy into since we were a little kid. But for him, it means something. I kind of despised it growing up. I mean, it is just is what it is. Like I'm in a way, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I was exposed to such insane level of, I don't know how to call it, of religious dogma to the point that I did my own research to find out that it's a, like, it's a complete waste of human energy and effort. And it's not how the world works. That's how, I mean, when I left, I was, I was an atheist. I'd been an atheist for a long time, just not realized it, I think. But like, I was in the kingdom hall looking around like everyone was crazy. <laughs> oh my god they believe things that i think are completely insane and they have and they always i've always thought they were completely insane but now i've now i'm freaking out because everyone i know in this room is someone i view as an insane person i need to get out of here and never come back and i did that <laughs> but um like to, to realize early on in life that religion is as a, just to quote the jehovah's Witnesses, a snare and a racket <laughs> <laughs> all religion is not just the jehovah's Witnesses. like they're yes. all pointless waste of human energy and time and there are other ways to find community um maybe maybe in the term in times of like grieving they can give you a sense of solace or like help you mourn because that's what that's something that they do as a service but there are other ways there are other groups of people or there's people that are just more humanity based like other groups of people that are just there to help and aren't expecting you to give up your time and your money and your whole identity <laughs> to get um, help through some uh, tragedy in life. I had a hard line in the sand about going to other religious groups mm -hmm. after leaving this one. Yeah. And then it was a few years later, like four, 2008 was when I left. Three years later was Occupy Movement, Occupy New York, but it was kind of blew up all, all the cities in this country and a few abroad um, were trying to, a bunch of people coming together to try to talk about politics, talk about how do we change something, getting involved locally. Mm -hmm. And I got really involved locally where I was in Colorado. And a bunch of meetings started popping up in Unitarian Universalist congregations. There's a couple of those in Boulder, Colorado, where I was living. And I was like, no, hard line, not going. And then someone's like, come on, it's just like a building. Like you don't have to be all weird about it. <laughs> just come and hang out. And it was like people I'd like grown close to in a few months. I was like, okay, so I went to a couple and I instantly was like, oh, I've been missing hanging out with old people. <laughs> Man, it's so nice to just talk to someone who's not my same age or younger. 
mm-hmm. and like they want to hang out with me and they're like this old guy probably in his 70s is like hey you, you seem like a really nice guy like let's get a coffee and i did and we hung out it was awesome and i was like okay there's there's something here what i love also learned about that church is that they are basically god free as a congregation and it's like part of the way they've been for decades they don't use the bible they don't sing hymns they sing beatles songs and like other classics that everyone knows and they they do basically the formality of church both with like a godless church it's like oh we're actually just here for community and like yeah self-help and like actually healthy community building so then i warmed up to the idea they're not without their own faults from what I've heard, but I didn't look into it. I have other, I've met a lot of ex witnesses who've actually gone to Unitarian Universalist churches because it's just like a clean, simple experience filled with a bunch of people that are mm-hmm. fine from the local community. And it feels comfortable without all the bullshit. Thank you. Yeah. There was one um, in a town back home, which I, I'm from a very grass, well, there is grassroots there. <laughs> it's a very grassroots community. And so they had one or two of those churches in um, the Ithaca area. And I did have the temptation to go there because of that idea, because I do like the the feeling you get from that sort of like, like you said, community and conversations and meeting people from different backgrounds. But um, I think one of the biggest things I struggled with when I was in the cult was I hated the almost like homework assignment feeling of it of like oh now i have to shower on my day off get dressed <laughs> go there socialize with people you know maybe you get stuck in a conversation with a talker and you want to get out of there and now you're stuck talking to this person and then you get in your car and you got to get back home and before you know it six hours of your weekend have, is disappeared and i just thought that's going to be counterproductive because i'm going to leave there drained maybe triggered even Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a great idea, but I think it would only help XJWs that that the time, the monopoly of time wasn't your your issue. And that was always one of my biggest issues mm-hmm. in that cult was my time was so much of my time was taken up with service, family, like you said, like all the little things that my family actually did time like times four and it was just too much. So it sounds great, but. I'm not giving my time off for that. I refuse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so with you. And I found things I love that are, it doesn't require meeting random people that all have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. <laughs> right. Like like hanging out with people that love to do the things that I love to do. And I have so many interests and hobbies and sports I love to do. Like just in short, like I love going to see live music. I love mountain mm-hmm. biking. I love going to the beach. I love just hanging out at the beach. I love reading a book on the beach or like going for a bike ride along the ocean or hiking um then rock climbing i love rock climbing i've been doing that for since like 2015 a lot and it's a local gym so like love to go there and meet people that love to do that and then those people i become friends with and they want to go do something on once a weekend or once once a month on the weekend like right now this weekend tomorrow a bunch of friends are going to las vegas to climb at the red rock national park for three days and then hit the casino at night which is actually really fun and you get free drinks <laughs> and those um, are all things that you're you may come back exhausted from it but you're not gonna be like oh i wish i'd have done something else with my my time you're right. gonna any, enjoy that yeah any of those things are like never like totally re- don't regret this like i value it it was fun hanging out with those people a great conversation at least it was like even if it wasn't it's just like beautiful nature getting some exercise it's all it's all good 
And there's like, why, why would I blow a Sunday sitting in a room with randos who don't have any hobbies? Right. <laughs> Their hobbies sitting in a chair. Like I, I sat all week. The last thing I want to do is sit in another chair and listen to other people talk. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy because it's not that I wouldn't enjoy hearing it, but it's just, there's something different about hearing random story times from your friends and people you actually have like a relationship with, or, you know, I'm sure with making your documentary that, that took a lot of your time and energy to research and travel and film and edit, but it's different when it's your people or your passion versus just like, this is supposed to be like something I enjoy. Well, I don't. So I just want to go home now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We didn't get we didn't get to have that choice. We didn't get to leave. I mean, I did a number of times leave the meeting with this church, but I you don't you didn't really feel like you're allowed to do that. Or I guess you could go to church and then leave halfway through, and people probably wouldn't judge you. But I but <laughs> we I would feel it. I don't know about yeah. you, but I'd feel like yeah. oh no, I'm not supposed to get up because I've been to church a couple times. I when I first left the call, I was really I feel like I went to the other extreme. I don't know if you felt like this too but I feel like when I first left I went from being stuck in the cult to being which is and having everyone around me be very judgmental and harsh and they were always right about their stance and so I went to the other extreme where if you were not if you did not agree with me on like the extremely liberal side and you didn't live your life exactly like me on this side I would treat you just as bad the Jehovah's Witnesses did yeah, I think I was fairly judgy as well. I've I definitely softened up. Like, I don't even know what the political stance is of, like, I know I'm, I have like this group we started before the pandemic of like, it's like 80 people now. I probably know like half of them pretty well in LA and I'm living in Los Angeles now, but they, I don't think I know what most of their political stances are or religious. In fact, I was writing, I was about to write to come into the group. Like, I don't know any religious people at all (laughs) i definitely know some people that have gone to church or that Mm -hmm. but i don't know if they actually believe in a god or anything which is kind of amazing i definitely lived where i'm from it's very generally conservative and it would probably say more than half people like are believers on some level Mm -hmm. but it's nice it's refreshing to live in to be in a place where that's just not the norm at all and i consider like in you know I, yeah, to your point, like, I don't know what they believe or think, but I enjoy them as a human being. Right. And it's, I, it's like a very gray area and it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. I know people, I have several people that disagree with me on different, like, political or social or religious stances. Um, but I try to just stick to and have stuck to for quite some time now, just the idea of like, well if they're not hurting anyone you know like you can have a stance that's completely different than another person but are like you going out and like picketing outside their house and shit or are you just saying like yeah when it's time to vote i just vote the other way which is everybody's right to do so or like you know Mm -hmm. on my weekends i choose to do this other thing than what you do if it's something just like that like whatever i don't have to agree with you it's just it's not my business and i think growing up the way i did even though i never believed in the cult's stances I feel like being raised in that environment of like, your opinion is the only right way. And if someone doesn't share that same stance as you, then they're a horrible person Mm -hmm. is 
just so stupid now that I think about it in hindsight. Like, who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's got the time? <laughs> and like you said, like you can have these great friends and like other than if it came up in conversation, like who has the time to do a full rundown of what are your, what's your stance on this, 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 right. and this, and this, and this? Like, I just don't have the time. Like, are you, <laughs> you cool? I'm cool. Like, yeah. Like, you don't believe the way I do. You're out of my congregation. <laughs> exactly. My little congregation, <laughs> aka my life. But to that point, you said that your dad does not talk to you. Do any of, does your other family members, do they talk to you at all? There was a interesting moment in time, like four years after I cut the religious cord all the way. <laughs> um... <laughs> Did I make a childbirth reference or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, they, my, I was approached by family where they all joined, like liked me or liked me. They all <laughs> added me back on Facebook because that was the media choice, uh, social media that everyone used at the time. They were talking like 2012 or something, 10, 11 years ago, where they were like, we, we want to like have you back in our lives. Like, okay, uh, well, I'm, you know, not sure why you what changed and i'm really annoyed that you guys took that did did the shunning like i was very surprised by that because they were like for the first year and a half or so they were open-minded and talking and then it was like hard cut off and then they were like oh. we're, we want you back I'm like okay so what's the terms and then i was presented the terms but not told that those were the terms like it was like this really casual conversation with my dad where i was, I was visiting my hometown and my family wanted to hang out so we hung out and um, I didn't expect that even. Anyway, they presented terms and I was like, that is ridiculous. Like, why would I ever choose to do that? And then I never heard from any of them again and they all unfriended me on Facebook. Like, oh, that was some ultimatum. That was, that was, you'd have to, if, if, there were, if we're making like a pact or like an agreement to, you know, have a relationship, like I need to know that that's what this conversation is. Not just have it like a <laughs> casual idea tossed out in a, we were like on a chairlift ride for four minutes. My dad's like, what do you think about this? And I was like, I would never take that deal. That's that's bullshit. <laughs> and we hopped off the chairlift and snowboarded the rest of the day and I never heard from anyone in my family again. He basically just said what well, I guess they might, you might imagine Jefferson is saying, but he said something like, I think it'd be really nice to have like, a, to be able to talk to you, but just never, just agree to disagree about the whole topic of faith and religion. I was like, well, you, you want me to never talk about your religion? Because I want you to never talk about any religion or any belief in front of me or anyone else in the family. I was like, I'm, I, I'm not. I don't want to be filtered by the rules of your religion. That's 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 one of the big problems <laughs> that we've always had. Is first of all, I don't even know what any of you guys believe, and then, you know, I just, I just like went off a little bit, and I, and then that was just like, oh my god, like that wasn't the reaction we were hoping for. We thought he would like come crawling back to us, like the. You know, prodigal son and and be so grateful that we're letting him into our lives and i was just like this is a fucking dumb idea why would i ever be silent we're adults like <laughs> i can talk to anyone in the world about any topic why, why are you being so weird about it and then that, then we got the chairlift like that was that was it i mean I was, I was pretty harsh at that point i was like wow standing my ground at all times not just that one moment that was like yeah. that was my standard operating at the time i was like posting stuff publicly on social media about my beliefs and like what this religion teaches and how ridiculous they are and I was like just very bold about it mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was again in that moment I think a bit like that and then later on like a year like a year later my sister like somehow we were in communication and she's like if you would have just told dad that 
you agreed to disagree, that would have changed everything. We would have been in each other's lives for a decade. We're like, what? That was the conversation? Like, this is like revealed to me like <laughs> later on. Okay. Wow. News to me. And this happened in 2012, you said? Yeah. So I can't remember when that other little conversation happened that revealed that that was the ultimatum. I think I just sort of like induced it over time. Like, oh, they all friend me and then unfriend me after that one interaction. Like, okay. Hmm. See, I'm having an epiphany moment is why I asked because, hmm. so I, I left in 2013, so hmm. I'm not saying necessarily that this is why my family did the similar thing, but in 2017, we had that discussion, like identical thing of just basically my parents saying, you know, our beliefs, you know, the rules of the organization, and we cannot talk about scriptural things with you. And I just said, I don't want to talk about scriptural things with you. So what's your point? Like, I mean, if you're shunning, if you've been shunning me all these years, I mean, I left when I was 22 and I was 28 at that time. I'm like, if you've been shunning me for six years for fear, I was going to share my new religious beliefs with you plot twist i don't go to church <laughs> like i don't know what you thought was going to happen so if that's the thing you know i was like with your dad i was like saying like if your deal breaker is i can't come in sharing you know talking about the bible and whatnot with you don't worry about it like right. if you're worried i'm gonna invite you to my christmas party and my birthday parties don't worry about it you weren't gonna be invited that was never the expectation. Like, I'm your kid. Talk about a buzzkill to your birthday party. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I don't want you there. Like, I'm trying to get laid, please. Like, it was like, I don't want my dad there. So it was like, don't worry. Um, you. This is not even, this is a non-factor. It was like, why are we even discussing this? So like, crazy that we have to guess why our parents are acting up. <laughs> like little kids like we're trying to deduce what could cause our parents to be so mean to us <laughs> <laughs> what has you pouting this time what do you think your family thinks of your documentary well i want you to release this one it's gonna be available i'm gonna make it sure. available just to my patron in march 1st Ooh, okay they haven't seen the documentary but they may have seen the series and so witness underground youtube channel has season one is out for free it's um 12 interviews like one a month that are they're like interviews that are two or three hours that cut down to like 10 to 20 minute episode following one person with something to show something to say get a little bit of their story get to know them and i'm, I'm basically off camera and not talking so it's them it's just like highlighting them as a person i actually did a lot of a really similar thing to what you're doing which i really like about your show is you just say this is the episode about scott I think it's really cool. And that's how I started out. My very first episode that I actually, I edited like three different things and then I ended up hiring an editor to like take those three and turn it into like one really good thing from my first experiment with this. And it was just, it was called Focused on Roth. And he brought a really great friend of mine in a religion. We've maintained our friendship outside the religion for like 20 years now. Um, and we just did a recap. Uh, my first episode this year of season two of the podcast is him, like a recap with Roth. We, me and a friend, Kate, flew him down to Miami and um, had like a four day reconnect. None of us have all hung up together, the three of us. So and it was cool, like get a catch up on Roth. Anyway, he, I was doing a similar thing to what you're doing, but doing with video, like documentary interviews. This documentary, I mean, there's definitely things I've learned. I you learn something on every project and I'm, I've gotten better since then. Um, and I, I shot this five years ago. And it was all crowdfunded by X-Jobs Witnesses too. It was 2018 oh, crowdfund. That. And it's like 200 different X-Jobs Witnesses put some money in and a guy, a guy from Hong Kong who is like an evangelical who only preaches to Jehovah's Witness cart witnessing people. <laughs> he's, the, mm -hmm. he's such an interesting guy. He put a lot of money into it, actually. He thought it was a really cool project. 
Um, so anyway, all that to say, it's happening. Oh, and then the coolest thing I want to do that I just launched in January this year is an artist grant for Jehovah's Witnesses. Or actually, oh right, yeah, tell me about that. So all of the money we make on Patreon, twenty percent of it goes into a fund that we then do a contest. So artists either pitch their project that they want to make, or they make something and it gets judged by a panel of artists. And right now, those panel of artists are the people that are really close to me who are in the movie. Um, we have a bunch of musicians and then a filmmaker. And then I'm connected to a bunch of other artists who've left since I've made the podcast, uh, other musicians, painters, authors, um, people who draw. So like all kinds of expression. And then right now I put up a thousand dollars of my own money just to like, hey, like this isn't a scam. I'm not trying to like, <laughs> do some weird thing by offering money through this project or ask you to give money so we can pull the, spin that back to the audience. But that's the ultimate goal. But right now putting my own money up front. So like you trust the project. I've been going for seven years with this project and it's gonna keep going one way or the other. But if you, you know, participate, all you know, some twenty percent of anything you spend on Patreon or by buying art the art that's available on the website goes to the fund. And then we do another grant or another contest. Um, so that's that's the system in general and another one of the artists um, one other artist friend of mine she's helping me build the contest into something more legitimate like with real term the conditions right now it's just gotcha. apply apply <laughs> and you you might win <laughs> right and we got three very different things one woman in England she makes music and she uh, writes and so she wants to elevate her level of quality with the money. Another person wants to make a short film. She makes like bizarro music videos. She wants to take her style and turn it into, um, I love this idea, it's a, a timeshare experience. Getting pitched a timeshare and like high pressure sale is like a cult indoctrination situation and like make it a comedy about the cultiness of that. It sounds fun. And the other one was the guy who's just left the religion and he wants to draw characters at uh, music event throughout the summer. So he's gonna. He's not. He said he felt he was never allowed to go to these um, music events because of the religion, and he's always wanted to explore drawing as a a, a self expression, and he wants to use the money to make that happen this year. It's like, cool. I love all of those. Ideas. Yeah. Keep it coming. I hope we have enough money coming through that we can give at least some small grants to all these people. That's fantastic. Oh, I was gonna ask you about your film. What started like what was the beginning of this idea like what started you going down this path of making that film there's a short version of this and a long version <laughs> um uh, okay the short version is when i was in the religion as a musician i met other witness w active witness musicians and there was a whole music scene in the religion that i i became aware of and then i moved to that city minneapolis where it was the heart of it and they were like collaborating with people in Illinois, Chicago, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in Iowa. Like the whole region had music. And I was a musician from Wisconsin, so Wisconsin's on the map, and a few different places. There's just musicians all over the place throughout the 90s and early 2000s in that religion, especially in the Great Lakes area, it seems like. Um, and there was a scene in or um, Portland area I've heard about recently, but and also Australia had a thing that I've learned about. But I mean, who knows what else is out, was out there? Um, but anyway, so I, I learned about these musicians. I became friends with a bunch of them. I ended up moving there and hung out with basically only those people because I was like, I can choose my friends for the first time ever. I'm living in a big city versus a small town in one congregation. 
I don't have to drive anywhere. There's like 14 congregations in one city and like there's a hundred musicians and they all hang out together and they're all like super pretentious and also artistic and also really funny and into cool music. And we go to shows together. I was like, this is actually a cool scene. I really like it. And they all had their own like connections to outside of the religion, to different people in the art scene. And so like there's people like that we all kind of started to know worldly people like normal people that liked the music and like liked the people that are in the bands and then they would come to the shows and we all became friends with each other and it was like bridging the gap it was like about going over the walls so like there's this whole scene and then a lot of the people at the heart of that scene left the religion within a couple of years of me being a part of like the disillusionment of this whole thing that had been going for like 17 years this whole music scene building up slowly and becoming a whole scene mm-hmm. in the religion um and making an impact in the city um, anyway, so I saw the end of that, basically, end of the end of the community. And years later, I, uh, this is the short version, <laughs> years later, when I was trying to think of a way to, like, talk about shunning and how it affected me and, like, realizing that that, that music scene and, like, that experience of being shunned and, like, losing your community, um, that untethering in life that happened was so dramatic that I wanted to like make media about it and like actually say something about it and like how dark it is. And like, I even want to reach out to like my family who weren't in this religion. They're in other religions or whatever, just normal people in my mom's side of the family that tell them what the hell's going on. Like how my family's treating me, but like I wasn't really close to them anymore. I'd been, I've been gone for like 12 years at that point, mm-hmm. 15 years. So it didn't like, it's like, I want to get back at them. I want to like say something. I want to like expose this evil force for what it is. And like, I'm like angry about it. But I don't put this energy into something meaningful. And I knew that like every, when I was in the religion, I watched every movie that came out about the religion, good or bad. I watched it all. And that probably informed a lot of my thinking about it and my more balanced view and like my eventual informed my exit. But I was like, that's actually really powerful. Like there's a lot of YouTube videos. There's a lot of blog posts. There's a lot of writing. There's a lot of negative stuff about the religion, all warranted, all valid stuff on the internet but it doesn't have the impact that a film does. And I right. love documentaries since I was really young. We had like a documentary course in our high school that was awesome. So I learned how to do it already as like a 15 year old. Um, and I'd made a couple of short docs and like travel logs and stuff. If YouTube had existed, I might've blown up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I wanted to create something bigger. So I started with, I just met this German guy in, uh, well, he's an American guy from Chicago in Germany, living in Germany, who his, he told me at a bar at this Australian music event in Munich, he's like, yeah, my whole thing is like, I came out twice. I came out at 19 as gay and that I was out of the religion. That's like my big joke to like the gay community. He's like, I, I came out twice. I was like, oh, that's, that's actually great. Like, I love the idea of like bridging the, the experience of leaving, losing, but you're kicked out or you leave or fade away or whatever from this religion or any religion or any cult. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite similar to the coming out experience of, of being gay in terms of like, what the risks are for you personally emotionally um socially and and they already built the language uh, for it so the coming out of the jehovah's witness religion is that that title of the, the film the documentary series that i have on youtube um since 2016 would start with him named soren and the first episode it was with raw so it's like i haven't put out all the episodes yet but um, the trailer had thrown in it. Anyway, the whole idea was framed around that, like the coming out experience. So, like I started making it with individuals like you were doing with your podcast. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, I want to keep doing this. I think I can do something bigger and more powerful and more impressive 
and actually maybe even reach inside the religion because the media is so powerful and so tight and concise and makes such a strong case and such a strong point that it like has momentum behind it enough to reach over the wall that Jehovah's Witnesses have created, the cage yeah. that they're in, get into the cage and affect people from the inside. And it's about shunning. So like the real, there's a lot that the film touches on, but it just touches on it. The, the thing that it impactfully says powerfully that will make you cry is it talks about it it just shows the impact of shutting wow. in a in a very entertaining way because it's soundtracked with 40 songs from made by jehovah's witnesses that are actually really good out of a collection of 30 albums i spent months curating the soundtrack from this archive of music from made by jehovah's witnesses and released in creative Commons in the 90s and early 2000s of awesome powerful interesting diverse music from many different genres to create this emotional arc throughout the film. And you get to learn about Jehovah's Witnesses through the eyes of artists who are in the religion and like actually towing the line and like their ministerial servants and elders and they're, they're pioneers and like, they're like in it deeply, but they're amazing musicians. But freedom of expression leads expression. to freedom of thought. Yep. Leads to people making choices to get out of this community because it's a dangerous cult. That's what the film's about. And it's, it was such a joy to make, but it's also traumatic to make. But it's, I f I'm very proud of it. It's filled with like tons of little tiny technical mistakes, but it's also like won an award at a film festival. I went to 11. It was a film festival curate, like five to 10% of their submission. And it went into 11 festivals and it won wow. an award at one of them. So wow. it's pretty good about how it's received by people. Congrats. That's fantastic. Thank I'm you. excited to see it. I saw the, um, the trailer online, but obviously cool. not the film yet. What do you think of the trailer? Trailer alone is fantastic. So I was like, well, when is this coming out? I didn't realize that it wasn't out and about because everywhere online, people like that were interviewing and talking to you were talking as if they've already seen it. So I'm like, am I just out of the loop or did it come out a while ago? And now it's like, you know, sometimes movies come out four years ago. And then if it's not in a streaming service or YouTube, you're just screwed. You'll just never see that movie. That's why mm -hmm. I kind of thought I was like, oh, maybe it's just not anywhere i can see it now yeah and you're right and this is this has been a thing i thought i would shoot that and have it out by the end of the year mm -hmm. it's like a crowdfunded in in march of 2018 and i was like december 2018 let's like why would it take any longer than that and then i got a job and i moved to another city and then i've then the pandemic hit and like ultimately i you know hiring people and it was just like it's a really long slog to make a documentary and everyone i met in the film festival circuit that made a documentary they're like Oh yeah, this took four years, three years, five years, six years, four years. Like, oh, they all take that long. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons why. And usually they have a team of people working on it. And so I did most of this alone with and I had one editor that I hired for the story part of the cut. I did the rest of it myself. And I have learned how to do this stuff, but it's still still hard. I'm always learning another better way to do everything. Um, yeah. But, so you probably look at it with a much harsher eye than anyone else is gonna ever probably. see it. Like it yeah. like I said, the trailer alone looks fantastic, but I'm sure you look at it and see like, oh, I could have done all these other things. But five years is a long time. That's wild. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I, I, I really believe thought, it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd always dreamed of like going to the film festival circuit, even though I'd never been to a film festival. It's like I know they exist and I wanted mm -hmm. to um do that, but then I did it only to realize like that's kind of that's a path you can take. But I had expectations of the film festival. I thought that it would find an audience or that film festivals would have their own audience. So I'd be showing my film to a new audience at every festival. And festivals don't 
they don't advertise for any one project. They only advertise that just come to our show. We have awesome films. They never talk about what they are. They never promote the actual film. Oh. And they, you know, the pandemic was a very hard time to get people to go anywhere outside of their house. Right. So they're a very sparsely populated event. And the, the people that did show up either were people I met in person there. And I was encouraging them to come to my film over the other 99 films that were showing that week. And they, they liked me, so they showed up. Mm-hmm. I was like hustling, you know, to make give people to actually come into the room. And that's, you know, each festival cost me like over a grand just to show up and be there for the weekend or the week or whatever. So it's like quite a costly thing to go to all these festivals. And then I expected that like somebody who wanted to distribute a film would be there at that festival who would approach me or any of the other filmmakers say, hey, we want to buy your media or buy the rights to it. Or like, we want to put it on our channel or anything like that. Nothing like that happens at any festival unless you're talking like Sundance. Even even then, like a lot of films that have multi-million dollar budgets never see the light of day or have huge actors never see the light of day. And like my film has a bunch of indie musicians that no one's ever heard of on a topic about a church that almost no one knows anything about in a place, in a city that's like not famous for anything except for like George Floyd. <laughs> you know, at this point, it's on the map for that. And it's like not the topic. And I don't know. I just I just expected something to happen. I thought the and same I, thing. In the end, I got hit up by producers reps and people that wanted to like basically like you start getting hit up by people who are like parasites on the film industry, parasites on artists who do who who supply basically no um, value, promise something and don't deliver, but want your money up front and they take no risk. It's been exactly 13 months right now since the last film festival. But I thought, you know, during the whole year 2021, the film was done. It went to film festivals that year. It's been done for two full years. And I spent the last year and a half, I signed a deal with a guy to help me sell the film. He put it in front of a bunch of people who weren't interested, who said no, they rejected it. They weren't interested in putting it on their channel or streaming it. Or even even I had ins at Netflix with this first guy. Um, and they didn't they didn't care. A couple different avenues of Netflix, actually. Um, and then that's like, obviously, everyone thinks of Netflix. But there's a lot of other places to go or a lot of other channels to put it on. Got in front of a lot of people, said no. I ended up going with another recommended producer's rep who blood sweat honey and the guy that runs the place really great guy he put it in front of a lot of distribution companies and it's like it's like going to film festivals like you get you put in front of them and they can reject it they put in front of them they reject it and that's part of it i've been rejected over a hundred times for this movie people have watched it but they don't want it they're not interested in buying it or being a part of it but then like you get a couple in or like cf's and you're like okay awesome this is great and then you look at the fine print and they're like used to be where the distribution company would give me a minimum amount of money. Like, we'll give you $20,000. The film costs more than that, just mm-hmm. to be not too detailed. But the film right. costs a bunch of money mm-hmm. above and beyond, like 4X what the crowdfund was, if you want to do your research. Wow. Um, and so I put a lot of my own money in it, into it. But they're, they're like, instead of giving me money, that's like a, they're taking risk on this film. They, they make me spend like $10,000 out of pocket just to get it on their channel for all these different things that they should be providing in my opinion, because it's like for both of us, like take some risk as a company for art you believe in or a project you think will get views and you can both profit on. And then the split is like 70, 30%. So I get 70, they get 30, but they don't, that only starts after they get their, what they call marketing cap, but they don't do marketing. So they just take the first, they want the first 10 and one company won the first $25,000 of any money, gross money not net, like actual profit, go to them. And then after that, I get a 70-30 split. 
Wow. And it's like, okay, so the first I have to spend twenty to thirty-five thousand dollars of my own money plus anything that a film makes before I start to see a return. And that return will be in the red for the next, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Like I might never get even my own money back out of it. And it was a very, very low budget effort where I've like, you know, worked my ass off and you know, I not I'm not getting paid. I had to pay people to do different things. That's what the costs were. I'm not charging. I'm not anyway. It's like it's like such a gigantic mountain of a project. And like I'm learning that all these different groups and avenues of how the film industry works are just parasites on me. And I found a way. I found a way through a bunch of cool indie filmmakers I met on the film festival circuit who've become friends of mine and like are very open to hanging out, talking, communicating openly about how this all works. And it's called filmhub.com. And you can put your own work up there. A lot of indie films go this way, and you can get your film on basically ad advertisement video on demand so avod they call avod basically Tubi is the biggest one fox something owns it um fox entertainment i think something like that and basically you watch it for free everyone can watch it for free but there's it's interrupted with ads like five times throughout the movie not ideal i don't love ads but then everyone has access including witnesses um including people that don't have a lot of money they can watch it with ads and that's where the whole industry is moving right now anyways yeah and Tubi is becoming very popular um so I'm really hoping to get it on Tubi and then like everything else that you can get on with Film Hub and it'll be on my Patreon if you want to support and be part of the community and like have monthly calls or whatever. So that's, that's like the plan right now. And I'm sorry for the huge jump. Like that's my whole life. <laughs> the last years of my <laughs> life is like, that's a deep dive, but. I'm glad that you did it because I feel like you'll have access to an audience that needs to hear it more than, you know, like the average podcast, YouTube channel, whatever. Like I think you'll be able to reach more people. Which ultimately yeah. is the goal. Like, yes, also to make you some of some, if not all of your money back, I'm sure is also the goal. But I, I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm just want more people to realize that there is more than what that cult tells you. Yeah, definitely. They're hiding this information. They're hiding mm-hmm. how they are. I mean, I consider shunning an act of hatred, like a hate crime. It's it's hard to call it that without having like. A group of people that that are obviously hateable like a religion or a race or a culture or something Mm -hmm. but they create their own group that they then hate by kicking them out or mistreat and mistreating them for decades or the rest of their lives and do you you follow the belgium case um last year i think it was no i I don't in belgium there was a case where a group of people who were shunned like 12 people or something sued the jehovah's witnesses as a religion in a criminal court and they were found guilty the religion was found guilty of hate crimes now they're considered at at the supreme court level of belgium and so of course the witnesses have appealed this negative this is the first time they've ever been tried in a criminal court and then of course losing looks makes them look really bad and they hate to look bad so they're appealing it to the, the supreme court of the european union and imagine if they lose that one like that could be like they're considered a hate group in all of europe would be devastating. They're already losing funding in Norway, Iceland, and Sweden are talking yeah. about it. Their witnesses are suing people in Spain right now for using the word victims. And these are people who are disfellowshipped and shunned. They're like, you can't call yourselves victims. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have victims. I'm like, yeah, we're totally victims. You are trapped our family in a weird mental prison and are you making them mistreat us or else they get treated the same way? Like it's a gross um, human rights violation. So like there's this huge battle going on and there's, uh, I think, I can't remember what's going on. I just listened to it. There's, anyway, there's news on that. It's really interesting. And now a bunch of places in the world, in Mexico, Argentina, and 
maybe Brazil, I can't remember, have now changed the name of their organization and like like uh, legally ratified an organization and labeled it with victims because they know it's a hot button topic for Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> to sue them and turn it into like an international like debate and um, trial. So imagine, I imagine this will keep on going. But there's a lot of activism that's like becoming more unified around the world. I think it's really healthy. And it, I'm actually really interested personally because I speak Spanish to like help join or increase and improve the resistance movement in Latin America. Yeah. But once it's there, it will blow up, I think. You know, you saying that and referring to it as a hate crime, it's reminding me of when I was in therapy and my my first therapist I ever had kept referring to the religion as a cult. And I kept saying, well, that's a little melodramatic. It's not a cult. I mean, it's a really strict religion. And you know, so, you know, I'm not going to make you call it anything other than what you're comfortable calling it, but I'm going to ca start calling things that we're talking about in this room for what they are. So you can, because it's really important to put the right word to those actions. And so she mm. repeatedly called it a cult, you know, called my boyfriend at the time abusive, called my mom abusive, also correct statements. And oh. I kept, kept saying, no, it's not, no, it's not. And then it finally had like this, you know, the little light bulb in your head that's like, wow, it is a cult. And you just now saying, that it's a hate crime at first i had that initial reflex feeling of like that's a little melodramatic but then when you think about it the other way and it's like if somebody was persecuted and hurt physically or emotionally or financially because of their religion it would be a hate crime well the lack thereof of religion and being persecuted for that is also a hate crime it's one and the same and i never thought about that until just this moment yeah there, that's sort of i woke up to this a little bit with my personal family, like I forced a meeting with individuals in my family when I, after making the movie when I was in the, my home region. Interesting. And each of them said that they loved me for the first time, more than after like 14 years of extreme shunning. Like this is an extremist, fundamentalist, insane religion. There's a lot of labels, but yes, they are many of these things. And them saying that they love me in this context was so like my thought immediately was you're saying that for yourself to make yourself feel better about the terrible things you're doing. Yeah. And manipulate and you, feel, you. Yeah. And you feel guilty about it. So you're trying to like cover your tracks and make it soften it by saying you love me. But like, these are not acts of love to your own religions. Like mantra, love is a verb and you have to do something about that love. Show the love. This is shunning is the opposite of that. Couldn't be farther from showing love. This is what we do to our worst prisoners. We put them in solitary confinement. And even then, like if they get out of prison someday, yeah. there's still a path to redemption. They get out, they get back into society. They might be treated differently, but, and maybe they've lost their community. It's rebuilt from scratch, but they have another chance in their life. This community doesn't even have that. You get, you smoke a cigarette, you lose your parents forever. You have sex, you lose your parents forever. Even if you love that person. Even if you say you're sorry, if, it, if no, too many people knew about it, you lose your parents forever. You know, like these, the punishment's the same on day one, and it's the harshest punishment humans have ever come up with aside from the death penalty. And they call this love. Like they're so twisted. And even solitary confinement in prisons, it can't be endless. Like they can't just throw a, you know, a prisoner into solitary confinement into the box and just be like, all right, well, see you never bye it's illegal. <laughs> so I mean, same way. It's like, I mean, not that it's the exact equivalent, but figuratively speaking, like the fact that we are in solitary confinement for an indefinite term, unless we come back and lie, because that's what it would involve 
to come back, get reinstated <laughs> would involve us lying. So it's like, how does that work? You want me to lie? Even coming back, this idea they they that their term coming back to Jehovah, which is such a ridiculous like cringe. It's cringe. <laughs> that is a six month and probably for someone who's making a podcast like you or I, the <laughs> multi years of of going to their world, dressing their way, towing the line, following their rule in solitary confinement with everyone watching yeah. for a year. And then faking it, like hating it the whole time and being essentially punished to your face for a year mm-hmm. before that you get to talk to these people again. Yeah. And they may say no. Exactly. Their statements are not promised. Right. It's so gross. And no one should ever do this. If you, I've met somebody when I was in, I'd met, I'd stayed long enough to see people go out and then come back in. Same. They're kicked out. And they were broken after. They were another human being. Yeah. Like no one's getting therapy during that or after because it's off limits, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have to do it in secret. Yep. It's a very unhealthy environment. I wish for no one to get trapped in this thing. My parents had a, I never expected them to shun because they were so, we had such a tight relationship. We respected each other. At least that's how I felt. I thought this would never happen. Like, oh, we're we're the exception to the rule, but they're just as manipulatable in that environment as as the average witness or the average cult member. Even from what um, you've told me, I'm shocked. It seems like they had I w- not liberal, but definitely a more lighthearted way of raising you in the cult. So for them mm-hmm. to then be so stuck on the shunning seems very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you were mentioning something earlier about 2012 being an interesting time to have that reaction. Um, it makes me it made me think I was going to bring this up earlier, um, and you had something similar um, mm-hmm. that they might have just had a convention that sort of was. That's like what I was trying to e- get around to. Yeah, was that was our publication told them to do that? Right, like in some rare cases, you could have this sort of balanced approach with someone as long as they never talk about their religion. Maybe you can have a healthy family relationship. Like who right. knows? And then like six months later or a year later, with the next convention, they're like hardline. Like you know, you have to cut them out because this means your life and your paradise access. You're going to lose your ticket. Because <laughs> then, then they're just like, "Oh, we can't do this anymore." Oh my god! Like they're freaking out. Like I don't want to lose my ticket to the end, end of the world coming in four months. Like oh, I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's possible. I think I would have seen it though. So this is—I know this is going to sound like a major contradiction, but at the same time, that's to be expected with Joe's witnesses. Um, my mom does this thing where if something is applicable to like our bullshit, she'll send me the article or she'll send me a photo <laughs> of it. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's and I've never Ugh. once read it. So it's like you can mail me those articles every day. I'm never gonna read it. She's um, doing it for her, and you would be so pissed if you read it. Probably, <laughs> I know. Like, no reason to go that way. No, <laughs> no. I would just go down. A, I would just revert back to the old me, which would be like, yeah. you know, fuck this shit, and I'd call her, and you know, whatever. But, <laughs> um, but when it's through like a photo and text message. It's usually just like a paragraph. So you can't really miss it. Like you can't really shut mm-hmm. your eyeballs off. And so I've seen those. And there's been a couple times where she sent me things in reference to if someone you love is disfellowship, like this is the direction. Every time she does, I'm like, what's your fucking point? Because it never applies to anything I'm asking her to do. I've never asked her to step outside her belief because of the fact that and I, and I wasn't like this when I first left the cult, but be, I've changed and grew, if you will, into feeling that 
I'm just mirroring it. Like if, if I tell her, no, you have to talk to me about how you need to text me on my birthday, for example, which just passed, I would never ask her to do that. Like she doesn't need to, I, I know she knows I was born that day. She was there, you know? Like, so I should, I don't need that text message from her. But when it comes to when I got engaged, you know, I a hundred percent required her to respond to that text message when I said, Hey, I got engaged. If she had not responded to that text message last year, I would have called her and lost my shit again because it's one (laughs) of those things where it's like, this is not applicable. I don't care about your Bible. Like we don't have to ever talk about that again. And I don't Mm. understand why more specifically parents um, and those parent children dynamics, why they don't read the fine print and say, okay, so I can do that. Right. I mean, their own religion says that the religion doesn't require their members to uh, shun. And they have, they say a lot of things though about not communicating unless it's family business, mm-hmm. but like any communication with your family members is family business. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's <why>. true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I don't know why they don't just bend the rule a lot more because I feel like the members are taking this direction so seriously. Like it's life or death. If they talk to a, their mm-hmm. kid, like it's not life or death. First of all, the whole thing's fiction. Um, yeah, but like even by one. their, <laughs> yeah, like we're talking about like a supernatural world that's not real all of the time on this topic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they believe it's real, and we're like, it's not. Like we're just living a life here, and you're not a part of it. You could change that, but you have to like step out of your weird fantasy world that you're stuck in with your imaginary friends, <laughs> and realize that your real children are here and like you should have a relationship with them before you die it's it's going to be rewarding <laughs> more so than having a relationship with your imaginary friends trust me <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i have to talk to you like you're a four-year-old <laughs> like, yeah. come inside and hang out with us and play a real game instead of this imaginary game. <laughs> exactly it's like the what at some point it turned they're the children we're the parents i don't know when that happened yeah. but it pivoted and we're like, like why am i parenting you on how the real world works and how you shouldn't trust everything you read online like i don't know why i have to tell you this <laughs> oh my god yeah that's actually so funny you bring that up because my parents were i would bring them like an advertisement for like about shoes like these look like a great deal you buy six pairs you get a seven three and they're like okay like don't trust advertisements ever. <laughs> like, okay, it's not an interesting message to get from your parents. Like, I'm a gullible little kid seeing an advertisement sent in a junk mail. Like, that is, this whole religion produces junk mail on an unprecedented scale. And they read it and they're like, huh, riveting. <laughs> I might live forever as long as I don't keep screwing up at the kingdom hall on my my shoe choice or like how low my, how much cleavage is showing. Like, I might make it in. And they're like, trying to toe the line and like be perfect presentation for the elders who are judging them all the time. Like the whole thing is insane. That is a spot on analogy that the articles are just junk mail and they're just buying into all the scammy ads. Yeah. Oh, that's so embarrassing for them. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if I ever fell for one of those scams, like, you know, the, the, we're calling you about your car's extended warranty scams. (laughs) If I ever fell for one of those, I would take it to my grave. No one would ever know (laughs) I ever actually fell for that. And here they are going door to door telling everybody, Hey, we fell for the scam and you should too. (laughs) Right. Are you not embarrassed? (laughs) Like, Hey neighbors, um, we're coming to deliver you a message about, 
Jesus, he's actually not that nice. He's going to murder you and your family unless you toe the line and join our religion. We're the only ones who've got it right. There are 17,000 other religions. They're all wrong. Just ours is going to get into paradise. There's no like limited spots in heaven reserved for us. Get in, join us. Like you're, you're crazy people. Like stop bothering people during Saturday morning cartoons. It sucks. Nobody it's their likes day that. off and they now they yeah. have to be bothered with you like are you kidding me just spewing nonsense and giving them <laughs> clearly propaganda both boring khakis and polo oh shirts. my god like, stop i know <laughs> the outfits it. do not miss that <laughs> at all they really do this gross thing that's a terrible bit of education and it's also revealing about the, the culture of the religion in that mm-hmm. if a woman presents her body in a myriad of different ways that will cause a problem for the leadership of the religion or men in general. Any religious culture has some of this going on, like a certain amount of skin. Some places are like so ridiculous that like no visible skin is allowed because that would make men so horny that it would be temptation in them. And like this religion doing the exact same thing, just drawing the line in a different place, like ankle skirts or like below the knee is the line they draw. Or like no spaghetti strap bras, but you know, have to be one centimeter, you know, whatever the stupid rule is. They're all saying the exact same thing that like they're horny and you're a sex object. Right. And anything you do is basically wrong and it's your fault if anything happens. It's like a very gross lesson to teach an in, you know, youth of any kind. That says a lot a lot more about your leadership mm-hmm. than it does about yeah. your members. Right. Yeah. <sighs> and also and, too, yeah. I mean, there's no proof of this. Um, and I don't want to sound um disrespectful to sexual assault victims by any means but i want to also add when it comes to exposure there is a possibility that maybe if men saw more of our bodies they wouldn't be that like tempted by it you know like when we see men's nipples like our our heads don't swing oh my god that guy's got a shirt off oh my god do you see his nipples we don't even Mm -hmm. think about it because Mm -hmm. there are models on the television and in the magazines and movies and your male nipples are out left and right and it's because we're not sexualized yeah we've seen it our whole lives and it's not a thing in society so if maybe if you saw women's nipples just as often it wouldn't be a thing Mm -hmm. so like maybe we should wear strapless shirts and not have to wear bras and where you know or wear whatever we we fucking want and maybe this wouldn't be an issue but it's because you've made women's bodies these like protected things that need to be covered up at all times or else like and or maybe if you let men in the congregation jerk off and release some of that sexual (laughs) tension or have sex when they you know want to need to Mm -hmm. you know consensually obviously but maybe they wouldn't be so pent up and get aroused left and right by women showing their ankles right and this is something that's been coming up in media a lot a woman wrote a play that talked about the elders meeting that she had about her first sexual experience in my film there's a woman who talked about her elders meeting with her first sexual experience and then there's a film made in ireland that just came out january 1st this year called debutante by camilla didina next witness she made her debut directorial debut with this film and it's won a bunch of awards and you should watch it and it's all about the woman's experience talking about her first sexual experience in a judicial case in front of three men who are horny and like it's almost like this whole invented scenario that anytime a woman has her first sexual experience she reports it to the leadership of the congregation and then they take notes 
And that goes into a mm -hmm. file and someone's reading this stuff. This is like the grossest text version or a spoken word version of a, of a porno, but it's yeah. a real woman's experience. And then she has to be traumatized by being punished about it. Yeah. This is what this religion has designed as a norm. Every woman does a very natural thing, but breaking a, a rule that they've created. And so they're told that they're breaking a rule where you know you're going to break this rule, but you do it anyways. It sounds awesome to have sex with someone you care about or whatever the scenario. It doesn't even matter. Everyone's going to have their first sex, but you shouldn't have to be punished over it. And so this religion punishes and gets a report, very, very detailed report of exactly what happened, how it went, and they make this woman repeat it multiple times. And it's disgusting and, and a terrible, offensive situation. But it yeah. just makes me think, like you were saying, well, this, this says something about the leadership of this religion that they want this recorded and extracted from the, the community why yeah. why that moment like you want to know about a young teenage woman losing her virginity in detail graphic detail about did the semen touch your skin how many times did you come did you make him come did he come inside you outside like what are you talking why why are you digging in to these these scenarios yeah i keep going back and forth on doing an episode about my one of my times being reproved um and that is the topic of it and I go back and forth on it because a part of me is like when I don't talk about things I don't remember them obviously like you know thankfully our brain works that way I appreciate my shitty memory sometimes mm -hmm. um and I find that once if I start to open that can of worms I'm going to remember it and big detail and maybe I don't fucking want to. So I keep going mm -hmm. back and forth on it, but that is one of the things there's a word that always makes me think of it. Um, what's, uh, what's like the technical word of giving someone a blow job. It's like, um, fellatio. Yes. Yeah. That word, every time I hear it in like a movie or something, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. like <laughs> I remember this brother, the brother asking me if I, gave him fellatio and I didn't know what that meant. And then mm. he got really uncomfortable because then that put him in a position where he had to explain to me what it was. And it was in, it was just like a brief like moment of like, huh, wait a minute. If you're uncomfortable, just giving me a definition of the term of what that word is that you are bringing up why should I be comfortable explaining everything I did? Right. I'm just asking you to give me a definition of a word, but you're like dying over there. Why? Well, should I be uncomfortable? You know? Like I he just read it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it was. But he never had to talk about this topic with anyone in real life. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. That's what it seemed like. It was like, well, if you, and I know this sounds so childish, but again, like I was, a child so i mean i i thought why didn't he just say suck his dick why didn't he just say blowjob because <laughs> i just thought we could have already like i could have just said yes or no we could have moved on now you have to sit here and cringe in your seat because you have to explain to me what it is <laughs> like it's <that's> so stupid <laughs> like but in now looking back at 32 i'm thinking like well i don't know if his wife i mean he was married but i was like i don't know if his wife did that to him i don't think his wife liked him they were <laughs> miserable people. And I mean, I, as a kid, I used to hate going out in service in their car because they would always end up in a major argument. And the tension was so thick. You know, that feeling when mm -hmm. you can tell like a couple has gotten into an argument on the way to a party. Yeah. 
that <laughs> that during field <laughs> service is like you guys got uh, in a fight on the way to the kingdom hall didn't you because this energy is off yeah. so i mean maybe he never had six seconds this is that's weird. off limits <laughs> in that religion no oral no anal if you do you have to report it to the elders and be punished over it what a sad life right and like that's why they're so miserable <laughs> okay so i'm gonna um plug a great film it's a novel written by tony duchene tony duchene i had the wonderful privilege of finally meeting him last week we went for brunch um he's right here in la and i've been i've discovered him when i was making my film in 2018 um his film popped up on some of my searches when i was doing research about the religion like different activist groups um it ran the film festival circuit that year and it is so good. It's easily the best piece of media on this religion. And it's a narrative. So it's not, it's like a really fun, entertaining narrative. About, and it, it touches on all the heavy topics, but in like a punk rock sort of way, like this young mm-hmm. witness teenager is super into music and goes to shows with his like worldly cousin. And <laughs> she like shows him like the dark side, but it's like the dark side, like wearing black leather and like smoking a cigarette one time. And like seeing boobs, you know, like it's not like Big anything deal. crazy. And and he's like losing his fucking mind um, about I don't know all this different stuff. And it, it gets into activism. It gets into like this issue in Malawi that was like a big deal in the eighties or seventies with witnesses and like the political cards. And like I don't know if you have followed that, but he brings up this topic. He even in like all the details, like everything. Not only was the movies true to the book to the novel. But it's mm-hmm. true to the witnesses and like the culture of it as well. And what was so cool is that Tony got to be on set for the filming of his book and um, train the young actors to play himself and and the people that played his, his character roles and all the people really. He got to work with them to um, train them on like how a witness would act or be in a certain situation. He like it just oh, it's perfect. That. It's perfect to the level that like I have I like I got so attracted to this one woman like the girlfriend character, like not just some like, like I get, she's attracted physically and like uh-huh. vo- vocally, like her voice is nice, but she like, she like is the perfect Jehovah's witness. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh, I'm like attracted to her in this weird way that like I'm supposed to be like, I'm programmed to be like, Ugh. but I like, I like would love to have my leg rubbing her leg in field service in the back of the car. <laughs> I, I brought yeah. stuff. <laughs> they show this scene so beautifully and they go to like his inner voice about this moment when her leg is rubbing up on his leg and it's like it's like he's getting his blow, a blowjob <laughs> so amazing <laughs> wow okay i'm gonna look it up and i know it's, it's, such a good it's on tubi uh, share it with your friend because it's like such a fun take on our weird background I love it. I'm gonna make my husband watch it with me, even though he yeah. hates Tubi because of like, as you said, he yeah. hates the commercials. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Oh my god, I can't!" I'm like, "Okay, but where if you can't see it anywhere else, like, it's like you know, if it was on Netflix, okay, then like you'd watch on Netflix. But if it's not, I'm I'd rather sit through ads in order to not miss out on watching something cool. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna force him to sit through it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Learn how miserable my childhood was. <laughs> <laughs> Because you haven't heard enough. <laughs> to this day, I'm 42. I get super squirrely when Christmas comes around. Everybody has, I've never unweirded Christmas and really like celebrated Christmas. And like everybody has a thing to do with someone uh. they're close to. And it's like this exclusive party that like I'm not invited to. And of course you wouldn't, like they're an immediate family and I'm yeah. bringing strangers. And I'm fine with that. But it's like, I need to do something because everyone's talking about this one thing that I can't do. Mm-hmm. It won't happen. And I'm like, 
to the point that I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of where I am because everyone I know is either leaving to do something or people are coming here to do something with them. And, and I'm like, nothing will be fun for like a week. Um, and there are things to do and like people that do stick around, but like, I like go traveling. I went to Miami for an art event, art Basel, which is awesome. And I stayed for three weeks and it was so good with an XJW friend. I met through my film actually. She's so cool. And we flew our friend in and like had, we made a podcast episode and it was great. And then I went to Panama for new years and, um, stayed there for a month and it was awesome. And like, I was like, okay. I need every Christmas comes around. I need two months to like get away from feeling so awkward about the the thing. Like always being, it's like this thing of not being able to go to prom. I don't have the option of going to Christmas still. Yeah. After leaving this fucking cult 20 years ago, um, I still can't, it's 14 years. I still can't go to Christmas because my family doesn't celebrate and never did. Like I have no option. I'm sure I could like hit up worldly family, but I've never done that. And it's just like, and they're so far away in like the coldest place on earth in Wisconsin. I don't, I'm not excited <laughs> to go up there. I'd rather go to like an even, an even warmer place than Los Angeles for Christmas. Anyway. Um, so I get weird and I travel and it's also yeah. always really good, but like get my head out of that space of like, I'm missing out on this holiday again for another year for, we're going for like, let's see, my last Christmas is I was five years old and we had a big celebration with my family before they joined the religion. Um, so I'm, I'm like 37 years without Christmas. <laughs> I would definitely not, this is, may sound like horrible advice, but I would definitely recommend not going to other people's Christmas, uh, Christmases. I don't know what the plural is for that word. Yeah. Um, because I've done it. I've had amazing friends that I've expressed that feeling towards them as well. Of like, I don't have anywhere to go. And I, it's like, it breaks my heart and it, Sometimes it makes me depressed and blah, blah, blah. And so like, come to ours. Like my family fucking loves you, Chef. Like you can come to mine. And I've done it probably three or four times. Um, and I've tried it in different ways. Like I've gone when they're opening presents and I've gone when they're not opening presents. And it's just like a Christmas themed dinner. Um, and either way, it sucks. hundred percent. Mm. I do. I've never once left there thinking, oh man, that was better than being by myself. I've always left thinking I should have just done something by myself because it's <laughs> it's too in your face of like, look at this healthy, happy family. And every family has bullshit right. and problems, but you, they have it. They've put it to the side at least long enough for this day. And they're making another memory this year to, together. Mm. And when you leave that, you're like, <laughs> like, mm. Like must don't be nice. Have any the, of that. No. And even worse, if you go when they're all opening presents and you're not, it's, it makes you feel like a five-year-old again. Like how would mm -hmm. you feel as a kid if everybody got presents and you didn't like think about it in school? I don't know if you had the same experience, but most shows when it says you go to school, there's holiday parties, there's an exchange of gifts and you're just off to the side because you can't partake because you're not mm -hmm. allowed. It was right back into that me being a kid feeling of being like look at everybody has presents and i don't and even if they give you a pity present for example just like well we know chefs <laughs> i hate being pity. yeah exactly yeah. it's like i don't i'm i don't need the pity it's i've mel i've always felt much better when i've done what you've done which is make my own plans to do something that again not a pity trip but a i want to do this trip and it just so happens like this will be the time i have off from school and work and just did my own thing go to new york city go to pa go to Maine and just do my mm. own thing versus 
being involved in, you're just like the shadow of somebody else's happiness. It's just, I, I don't yeah. recommend it at all. I did, I did do one and it was when I first made the episode with Ross, the first, very first episode um, mm-hmm. that I put out and it was sort of like, well, he's going to Christmas and I'm like, well, I'm here to film you doing stuff. So like, and they're all Might ex-witnesses well. who went, so it's like, this is all really on topic and like, wow, interesting. And you're like, they're cool with me coming. They're like, yeah. So I did go and I did experience some of those things. I did have a Christmas dinner and their family's lovely. And I, that was very grateful. And but I had some of those feelings. I didn't participate. Yeah. I didn't know. I bought them like little gifts. I was like, you know, $25 or something. And it was, we did an exchange as part of it. They had their own present. They already had planned. And they did this little like white elephant kind of thing, which that was also like, that was a nice experience. And I, and I really liked the people. I'm glad I met them. But it was also strange for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I was also sort of working. I was like, I'm trying to capture this environment without being imposing on the family experience. So it's like running the camera at certain times and then people were like, don't show me ever. And it was like, I was just dabbling in that for the first time. Oh, but I ha- ooh, that must've been weird. Yeah. It was just like a lot of different things going on at the same time, but it was, it was lovely, but yeah, I didn't get excited to go back. <laughs> no. Um, the conversations around blood transfusion, the religion has a hard line on that particular type of medical care. And they have such a skewed way of twisting reality that we're going to let this person we love and coerce her family, her children and partner and grandparents, everyone, to not let her get medical care and let her die. And that will be a symbol of her faith and dedication to her religion. Like, what? No. Save her life. All the medical tools are right there. Yeah. All, all the all the knowledge, all this accumulated amazing medical achievements are there, and this works, and she gets to live. That's and it. I, I read a statistic, and it's in one of my videos, from the American Medical Association, AMA. Mm-hmm. They did an estimate on this one issue within the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is in, like, year 2000. This is data from then, or maybe 2010, something like that. And it was about, they estimate about 30 5,000 people known would have had their lives saved with a blood transfusion, but their family and their religion coerced to not have the, the medical care, and they've died as martyrs to the religion. And that's how they're seen, and that's how they're viewed, and that's why they're praised as martyrs, which is like when we think about other cults, like this is the most culty part for me, is like we're choosing death. We're choosing life, human sacrifice mm-hmm. for the religion. And that's on the, they're like, this is the most conservative number. It's probably, it could be double that, you know, who knows? But let's just go with the most conservative. 35,000 is a lot of dead people for a faith. No, for not for any other reason. And they're like, no, no, they didn't die from the blood, not getting blood transfusion. They died from um, having a cardiac arrest or like an aneurysm. That's what actually killed them. Like, what if yeah. you would have done the medical care, <laughs> they would have kept living. Yeah, let's That's not leave the that choice part that out. Was made. Yeah, like <laughs> this is then the hospital liaison committee is so gross. Like this is like a murder squad. They're going around and forcing doctors not to perform medical care on people who need it, that can perform it, who want to perform it, who are begging the family to understand the gravity of what they're choosing, which is the choosing the death of their family member. And the hospital liaison committee is like, let's pray. <laughs> like, no, like we're not, this is not what this religion claims to be, is one that focuses on prayer miracles. But that's what they do. They do the prayer miracle ritual while forcing human sacrifice as martyrs. Like, 
how is this not making international news all the time? It's so gross. <laughs> I know. I, well, I think half the topics we talked about in this podcast episode in 10, 20, 20 years, let's say, knowing the pace of human human progression, will be <laughs> crimes. There are already yeah. laws like are very adjacent to this that are crimes. Like this, what we're talking about, shunning will be a hate crime. Like the way things are working in this organization, and it's not the only one. There's like hundreds of cults that do the same kind of stuff. But like this is this is dark, a very dark part of society. These are these are negative. What this religion does is negative to human society. Net negative for all of society, not just the people that are in this religion or the people that are just dealing with it like us. Um on the outside. Yeah. But yeah. Ugh. I know. I think the most extreme issues with the cult are the protecting the sexual predators. Mm-hmm. The medical abuse when it comes to not allowing blood transfusions and then the shunning i think everything else are like everything's flawed every religion is going to have some annoying factors to it and nobody Mm -hmm. would say anything about it i think none of us would have documentaries podcasts youtube channels about it if it if those three things were addressed yeah those are very big Mm -hmm. on my my show i've never really touched on the child sexual abuse I mentioned the suicide thing that was brought up in a couple of different people's stories. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, the, the blood transfusion. Um, I mean, okay, suicide's a big one. It's yes. like an epidemic in the religion. I don't. I would love to know real stats. If anybody out there knows anything about real numbers of, like, what it is in society, that's no number. But what it is in this religion, is it greater than? Because I imagine it's much greater than. Or anyone who's left, what are the numbers for people who have actually left this particular religion? Um, I imagine it's a lot more because I've heard of so many. And then when it comes to child sexual abuse, I've not yet talked to someone on my show who didn't know of a sexual predator in their own congregation or someone who was abused by by someone in the religion in their own congregation. Like it's so completely universal across this religion. Sexual child abuse is like normalized yep. and covered up. And even the victims, like people, people tell me about it. Young women, when I was in it, would tell me that this happened to them, but not to say anything because they didn't want it to bring their terminology. They were, they were programmed enough to not talk about their own rapists who's still in their religion, who still has their privileges or whatever. They're still like raising in the ranks. It's like, oh my God, like I have to now hold this knowledge. Like I should <laughs> yeah. be, report- shouldn't I be reporting this to like the police? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there? Like, I don't want to hold on to this burden. Right. To the point that like my family was raised in it, or, like or my family, tra- you know, they raised us in this church, and like we got to know everyone in it, of course. And there was an older man, and we didn't know this at all until I was in my thirties, that he had been raised, or no, he had started a child sex ring in the religion with his brothers. No way. And he, the the brothers, got away with it, and he went to jail for six months. But they abused like 15 kids for like a long time, some crazy number, like crazy thing. And our family raised five children from like youth, like molestable children age for these guys alongside this guy. But people kept warning my parents, like in weird ways, they would never tell my family this. They didn't want to scare my parents away. Right. So they, 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 the whole congregation of like 70 people were in a pact together not to tell my family about the child sexual predator who was, he did go to jail for it. So there was some level of justice, but you know, six months is sort of like a slap on the wrist for raping children, but like kept it a secret until we were all like in our twenties or thirties. 
Like that's so dark. Like all those people that I respected in the congregation and like grew up around were keeping that a secret. And yeah. my parents, like, we're so surprised too, and we're disgusted. But then they like now they're towing the line. They're like, oh, every you know every group has child molesters, so it's like it doesn't have an effect on whether or not God's a part of you know, God blesses us because we're His only true religion. Like all religions have this problem. Like what what you used to say like Catholics have a problem, and like it's so obvious and glaring. Like when when they came out as you know when it came. When the expose came out that there was a huge problem in the Catholic religion, every witness was pointing fingers at how disgusting they were. And now they're like, oh, we have the same problem? Oh, look, all religions have that problem, obviously. Like, they're just, like, trying to own it in some weird way. Like, right. no, just get rid of them. Delete them from your ranks. Like, just fellowship them. You look at this fellowship for smoking a cigarette. You are not touching kids. Yeah, you've, you've deleted elders for less. Yeah. So, I mean, why not? People get deleted from their communities and families for like entering a building where someone of the opposite sex happens to be because theoretically some neighbor might have seen them and just assumed that of course they started fucking immediately. Like you can lose your privileges for that, for like not having sex, but like someone, someone in theory, imagination that they might have thought that if they were watching. No one's fucking watching. Everyone's busy doing their own life. No one's thinking about who's having sex. No one cares. In fact, they'd probably want you to have sex and enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. But that, like, their way of thinking is so twisted and strange and their double standards, like, this is like, like, they want to know about virgins for sexual experiences in raw graphic detail and have it written down and sent a report about it. And they want pedophiles to be protected and maintained inside of their church. They sacrifice human life in blood because of blood, like they make such an issue about blood guilt. Like they're literally sacrificing human lives to some crazy idea. Like what, what is this thing? What is this machine for? Definitely not about getting into some paradise and they definitely don't have a spiritual paradise inside. <laughs> I mean, they, they might say otherwise. They think so. <laughs> they definitely say otherwise. <laughs> the reality is very different. Yes. It's like the, you can't argue with people that are living in a different reality. We don't have a shared reality. So it's, I think I've given up trying to talk them out of it. I've, I don't, I'm not hopeless. Um, people leave all the time. People, everybody has a different breaking point, but mm-hmm. trying to convince people like I, even this podcast and I don't know about your documentary, but um, I guess I can ask you that. Like what, was your ideal audience like what who were you making this film for it's a great question and my answer for that has been the ex-jehovah's witnesses are an obvious audience because mm-hmm. i feel like if we associate or identify that way then we're, we're consuming this content so like, of course they're like a given if i were to i guess the the direct answer would be people who are not associated with this religion. I want them to understand the evils of this thing to keep them at, like keep them from joining this religion or to speak up about it, become, make it a topic of dialogue in the general population. Kind of like Scientology has been through their documentary with Leah Remini um, yeah. making a big deal. Like everyone knows about this religion as strange cult and understands the nuances and how dark and dangerous it is. But it's also like a strange, like rich person's cult. It's like the rich version of Jehovah's Witnesses um, filled with celebrities and money, whereas Witnesses are it's a very different thing. It's like more tragic, I feel like, if 
Like people, have, they're spending their extra money on this thing, right? Like they're they're not giving up everything necessarily. Right. I mean, losing family—it's all—it's all very relevant and like important. Anyway, I know I'm off on the tangent, but <laughs> I want people to know about Jehovah's Witnesses on the level that people in society have learned about Scientology. Or one of my favorite ones was Wild Wild Country that happened in Oregon in the 1970s. And oh, was, I think I watched that. Yeah, or even the Branch Davidians, or. Um, the famous one, the Kool-Aid in um, Guyana. Oh, Jonestown? Yeah, Jonestown. The Jonestown's massacre. Like, only 9,000 people died there. Or no, it was 900. I think it was oh. like 900. Like, that's a lot yeah. of people to die one day. But like, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are doing human sacrifice too, and they're up to like 30 million, according to the American Medical Association. Like, 30,000. Um, that's, that's a much bigger number. We're talking more than 30 times more deaths by this cult. Um, anyway, I want people to understand, like, this isn't just a benign, peaceful, people are well-meaning, that are knocking on your doors. These are pedophiles that are knocking on your doors who would like to sacrifice your children to to molesters and um, blood issues with denying medical care. Like, all sorts of weird stuff, and they will promise you that you're going to live forever, so you should never talk to your family again. Like, <laughs> like it's a very strange thing, and it's very dark and negative for society. I want people to know that. And then the long shot is that people on the inside of the religion, like me when I was in the religion, will watch it because it's a movie or documentary on, on your faith. And it's actually a very fun, entertaining one about Jehovah's Witness artists inside the religion. Like it's almost like maybe the most, the one that people would maybe bend a little more to watch because it's actually about 30 albums of music made inside the religion by Jehovah's Witnesses who are towing the line, who are respected in their congregations who just happened to have an epiphany. So it's and like, how did that happen? The, the film gets into it. And it's really, it was really fun to make. It was, it's like a lot, my life's work at this point. I hope I make, I hope I, work, I make something else um, unrelated to this religion. I have ambitions <laughs> that are beyond this topic for sure. I'm exhausted of this topic to be honest, but I'm dedicating this year to it. Dedicating, I'll keep the pod, I'll probably keep the podcast going, going forever because talking to people like yourself who've left, like yeah. we didn't even we didn't even say hi or introduce ourselves. We just were like, <laughs> I got something to talk about. Let's get into this. You're topic. so right. <laughs> it's hi. like a connection. It's a connection right. that no I can share with no one else except for other ex-witnesses. And it, it's something yeah. I actually love. I think it's really special. It's yeah. like war, war veterans that you haven't seen each other since <laughs> the battle, you know, and you're fighting right. for a cause you believed in. And you're like, oh my god. And we're still in it out. though. Like the war isn't over. Right. Like yeah. until, you know people laugh like yeah there used to be this really popular cult and then there was an uprising by everyone that left mm. and then all these lawsuits happened and people went to jail and then that yeah. was it now until that happens language. like i'm gonna keep talking about it la resistance we have to <laughs> <Yeah>. fight <laughs> we have to fight no i'm serious about that i think you are too like this is this isn't just a fun playful conversation we get into mm-hmm. really heavy dark stuff because it's very real for us yeah and it was blown my mind having traveled a lot, what really piqued my interest to go even farther deeper into the original question about like how to make this, why did I decide to make this documentary? Is because no matter how far I went in the world, I ex-witnesses without telling me would just show up in my life. And like I lived with this woman from England for months before she told me that she used to be in this religion. And I never said anything about it. I was trying to like just live my life and like move on. And then one day we're like, oh my God, we were both in this crazy cult, let's talk, wow. And then I dated this woman in Denver, or Boulder, 
And then a year later, we dated for like a short term and then I left the country again. And then she wrote me like a year later, she's like, something just happened, my mom just died. And it's, I want to talk to you about it. It's like, almost like we're drawn to each other by culture. We don't even realize it's yeah. happening. And then like, we recognize something in each other that's deep or like approachable in a way that's like not normal. And it's like attractive to like hang out in that vibe. And then reveal, then you reveal a year later about some heavy moment that I wanted to reach out to you for some reason. I don't know why you, but like this happened. I'm like, you're seriously from that religion too? We dated. <laughs> we never talked yeah, about Yeah, how that. did that never come up? Probably because it's not an enjoyable conversation. Yeah. You know? So like that kind of stuff kept happening to me. And like, even when I was just in Panama, I brought, I was working like on my blog. I was like writing something for this project like a month ago. And I'm in this, I went to a hostel. I love hostels too. I'd been partying with some friends. They all left. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go travel my way. I went to this hostel. And I'm telling this Dutch woman, this older Dutch woman who's running the place for her friend for that day. And about the project, she's like, oh, it's really interesting. But I said, I said this to her in Dutch. I like, learned how to say Jehovah's Witnesses in like every language when I made the crowdfunding nice. and from also being in it. And and this other woman who just started that day, it's her first day on the job. She looked at me. She's like, what did you say? Like she recognized the Theotihova, Jehovah's Witnesses in, wow. in Dutch as a Spanish speaker. And she's like, did you say what I just think you said? And she's speaking Spanish and I speak Spanish. So I was like, oh, it's a Theotihova. She's like, I came from there. I haven't told anyone about that for the last 10 years. I left when I was 19. I was like, wow, uh, well, this place. Like, we have to talk about this later. Yeah. Um, and then we did. We had this like three hour hangout. It's like, oh my God. And then we did a podcast episode for like three hours in Spanish. And it was like this life achievement for me. Like, I can talk about this really deep, heavy stuff in Spanish. I should do more of that because it was really great. Mm -hmm. And like, she was still fired up about it. And like, everywhere I go in the world, I was at Burning Man this last year for the first time. First, one of the first people I met, staying in line, is this guy from Ukraine, hanging out, talking for like an hour. And then he reveals something he's trying to work on, which is like his parents joined this, you know, raised him in this weird religion. I was like, oh, which one? He's like, Jehovah's Witness. I was like, you got, like, no matter where in the world, it's like, I have this weird <laughs> cultural connection and it just keeps on happening to me. And I'm like, okay, I have to keep on making these stories. I'm like, um, yeah. if I meet you, I'm interviewing you. That's the rule. Or if like you're a musician, for sure. If you're an artist of any kind, absolutely in. Let's go. Like, I love it. It's fun. Wow, I feel like I've had the complete opposite. I feel like you took all of my um, my good JW luck because I, outside of this podcast, I've met people that had like a relative, but never themselves. Like I had a friend where her mother-in-law was a Jehovah's Witness, got disfellowshipped for getting a blood transfusion, ironically, um, and got she was never not a believer so she got disfellowshipped for it and then got reinstated and still Joe's witness and so I was able to be that support to my friend of like when she when her mother-in-law was giving her pushback about holidays or whatever I could say well this is the reasoning why she believes this and this is what you could say but I've never met anyone themselves that were in the cult wow. not even once go to more hostels Keep traveling. I know. Is that what it is? <laughs> Do <laughs> Lay <better>. abroad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you bring it up, like for a long time, I didn't want to, I just wanted to like not talk about it. I like spent so much life yeah. on this topic. I was like trying to just be a normal person, but no matter what, it's like, it's a part of me. I just have to accept it. And in this time in my life, I'm just like, all right, I'm embracing it, whatever. No matter what people, <sighs> there's a whole topic there, but like, I'm just going to say it. And when being open about it has mm. exposed me to like, like you said, you've met people who've met or have family and you've met people who are connected to it in some weird way, like through a relationship or something. Um, if you say you're doing this project, 
and you like make it a thing, people will start saying like, oh, like my aunt left that religion. Like I'll introduce you. And then it becomes like, people are doing outreach for you. It's like so weird. And it's like, they only know, you know, it's such a weird topic and they only know one person and like they'll do that outreach because it's like so special and unique. Yeah. Being open, when I started the project, people were coming out of the woodwork. Like when I was in Vietnam, I was like, I'm going to do this. I started this, I just, I just did this episode. I lived in Vietnam for five years. I was like, he's coming out. But um, I'd been in Germany visiting family. So my little brother, still a witness, moved there. Um, so I was visiting him and his ex and their kid. And then she's out of the religion. She's an ex. And she knew, she met this other ex there randomly. And then, so I interviewed him. I went back to Vietnam and I was telling someone, oh, I made this, I just recorded this episode. Um, and they're like, oh, you're here from that religion? I know this young Vietnamese woman who left her family to join the religion, but then her oh. religion coerced her to leave the religion. And it was like this crazy journey through, through her high school years or college years or something. I was like, oh, I should meet her. And I did. And I, she was awesome interview. She was so interesting, so different. Um, and then like, yeah, that kind of stuff keeps happening. You put the word out and you're like, I'm trying to make this project. People like try to, they try to help you out. Well, I'm excited to see your film. I do have one, actually one closing question that I always ask everyone, which is um, for anyone that is still physically in and either like mentally questioning or is mentally out that's listening to this episode, what is some advice that you would give them? Physically in, mentally out people? Mm-hmm. Mm. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> the end that's, that's it. <laughs> okay advice uh, great advice I've heard and I agree with is physically relocate that's not always easy people have lots of pressure and challenges like maybe they have a family or a marriage or kids or a job that they don't want to lose but like you can if you maybe you've never moved before but like actually relocating even to like another part of the same city or like um to another nearby town or city. Just get physically away from where all that drama is happening, all those people are that it can have an influence on you. It can be very helpful to um, mentally allowing yourself the time it takes to really understand how to detach or like uh, that, that and get therapy, absolutely get therapy immediately. Even if you need to maintain your physical presence at the, at the Kingdom Hall or whatever, you're in this culture, get therapy because I, I wish I had, I just started trying using a therapist. I got a seculartherapy.org is this like non-religious based therapy, vetted therapist. Mm. And there's like cult specialist there. It's a really great resource there. Uh, secular therapy. I think it's seculartherapyproject.organization or seculartherapy.org, something like that. Um, and I found this great therapist and she has opened my eyes to so many things and gave me really great tools to work through some stuff. And one of her analogies was you need, to, you need to open up your messy closet that's filled with all kinds of terrible things and all kinds of good things and clean it. Like, you need to unify your mind and, like, find the whole version of you because there's, like, fragmented versions of you. There's, like, the cult programmed version of you still in there somewhere. And if you're still physically going, you're still being, like, the programming still being, like, reinforced all the time. And these ways of thinking and seeing the world in it are being, if you're physically, if you're actually listening to this stuff and reading it, it's not healthy to be reading that information or be surrounded by a community of people. Like you're in an echo chamber of really, really bad ideas. Get yourself out of those bad ideas. Like stop participating. Don't read it. If you're gonna sit through it, I don't know, call in, Zoom call and turn off the turn off the audio. <laughs> Something. 
but I don't know. I've been so far removed from that, but therapy is huge. At least like read some self-help stuff. I have a great book I've just been reading recently about manipulation and not even manipulation. It's called uh, Polysecure. Okay. Um, Fern, Jessica Fern is the author. And the first hundred pages are about your attachment style in relationships. Um, but it really breaks down like childhood influences, how your emotions were cared for by your caretaker. And like, it could be your family upbringing or it could even be the religion influencing you and how to like understand almost everyone who's in this religion. I, my, my experience and belief is that people were like damaged um, through lots of, lots of years of abuse. And this book discusses like how to recognize that and like start unwinding it in a healthy way. Um, but there's a lot of books that dive into this kind of thing, but that one particularly was very well written in medicine. Um, and I'm finding it like chal- very challenging to um, reframe how I see myself, but it's like healthy to do so. And, and like how to have develop a real relationship with someone on the outside or like in the, you know, anywhere, <laughs> any kind of human being, um, which that has been a challenge for me personally. So I'm like happy to like try to like work that out. But I, Anyway, we could dive into a whole other podcast, but that looks <laughs> great. Just getting, finding resources, getting help from professionals is, is the, maybe my advice. Relocating if you can, that's huge. It's so instantaneously healthy to do that. Mm-hmm. And exciting to go somewhere new. I love it anyways. I'm addicted. Yeah. You want my fade, my fade advice? I moved from Minneapolis where Jehovah's Witnesses have their cards, right? It's like your file. It's like the KGB or uh, dystopian Orwellian file on you. Right. the authority figures, the authoritarians have over you to control you. And they move that. When you move to a new congregation, they send the paper version of the file or copy to the new congregation. And then they, the new elders get a version of, of you to like report on you. So I, what I did is I moved to Florida and I did it. I sent the thing. I had, I had the card sent, but I had no intention of staying there. Then I moved to Ecuador where I did the, the missionary. Like, well, I didn't really, I just went... I did my normal life, but I went preaching a little extra and I surfed a lot that time. I didn't move my cards there. Then I moved to Seattle and then I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I I never moved my cards from Florida. And like no one ever really knew who I was because I never had the full report from my whole life of probably being in a band or whatever and like having a worldly girlfriend and like going to that bar I wasn't supposed to, whatever the thing was. Um, And then that was a great way when I left. Like they're like, who is that guy? Like you he dated that girl like but we don't really know him right like then they never looked into me they didn't even know where i lived they didn't care no one ever checked up on me it was amazing i was still living in the same town and then of course i like got my girl my girlfriend and I left the religion together there's a lot more to my story um and then we traveled yeah. for six months wow so, like we were really like detached because we did that whole like physical we did like a mental like deconversion emotional deconversion from the religion of an abuse deconversion or whatever uh, while having a physical journey so it's like a beautiful like i could write a book about like the dynamics of like every chapter it could be it'd be like um the zen and the art of the motorcycle maintenance have you ever read that famous book yeah. like one chapter is about philosophy the next chapter is about the motorcycle trip he's doing with his child and the next chapter is about philosophy his like inner workings it's like that'd be fun to do like a leaving deconverting from a religion and then like what we did traveling and it's like lighthearted and fun and exciting and like we're learning something about the world and like meeting new international people that's a great mm-hmm. like all of the timing overlaps so well you were able to you weren't leaving by yourself which is also helpful that you went on a trip that you moved quite a bit like the timing of it helped you with the escape yeah no one cared or 
paid attention. And Nobody was checking, cross-checking. Yeah, great. And it, if you move to one of the beautiful things about that is you kind of get to reinvent yourself as you want to be, or as you want to be seen, or how people, how you want people to see you, like your best version of yourself or how you see yourself. You get to be that version because wherever you are and were, people have an opinion of you that's skewed or based on your childhood where we all did awkward, weird things or like acted out in some scenario, you know, like we're not our best version of ourselves all the time and right. we, we all come away with reputations from our whole childhood that like our parents will never forget our siblings they know it's like too well to like an annoying degree right they look soft but like after 10 or more years after you're an adult and you're on your own like all that childhood stuff is like forgot long forgotten by me even and like somehow those people still remember it and all the community still remembers that stuff go to a new place all that's wiped out they're just you just are who you present yourself today and you just start new and it's like such a beautiful clean slate highly recommend